Hey, I want to thank you for checking out uh, the sermons at Coastal Community Church online. And uh, we are really happy to make these available to you uh, for your spiritual nourishment. But one of the things we have a deep conviction of is that we hope that these sermons are a supplement to your spiritual growth, but also a supplement to you having a home church. And so if uh, you do not live in this area, we would really encourage you uh, to join with a local church where you can serve the Lord together alongside of other believers. Uh, if you don't have a local church and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to have you check out Coastal Community Church. We have uh, three services, uh, 8:15, 9:45, and 11:15, and we'd love for you to join us at one of those services. Hey, we want to invite you out for the Christmas season. I hope you'll join us. We're doing a series called Pictures of Christmas, uh, and we are going to be looking at Christmas through the eyes of different people in the New Testament and the Old Testament as we celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. We also hope you'll join us on Christmas Eve. We are going to do a candle lighting service. It's a family service. Uh, I think it'll be a great time for you, your family, and your children. We have two services on Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. It will be full, so let me encourage you to get here early and ring in the holidays. Um, joining us at Coastal Community Church this Christmas with our series, Pictures of Christmas. Have your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm just sad they didn't have Mr. Norwal. Bye, buddy. Um... <laughs> Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I don't think there's a greater introduction than that as we talk about pictures of Christmas and joy. We're talking about joy this morning, and it is an incredible topic, especially as we deal with this. In fact, if you look at the Advent candles, and I thank God that none of the kids like touched them or got burned or anything... Um, but the third candle that we light is the pink candle, if you know anything about Advent, and it's the candle of joy. And Christians all across the world are celebrating the joy of Jesus. And um, we get to talk about joy together as well this morning. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we're going to look at, beginning with verse 1, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where did the prophet say... The Messiah would be born, he asked them. In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. O Bethlehem of Judah, you are not just a lowly village in Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod sent a private message to the wise men asking them to come see him. At this meeting, he learned the exact time when they first saw the star. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. Once again, the star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. If you have a pen, underline verse 10, because that's where we are. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child was and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and worshiped him. 
Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went home another way because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod, the joy killer. That, I just made that last part up. I just, that was in the scripture. Just wanted to be sure. Let's pray. And precious Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Father, for the truth that you want to reveal to us. I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would reveal it to us and you would teach us, Father God, what you want us to learn today. Transform us by the renewing of our minds today, Lord God. Transform us, Lord God, as we worship you. Transform us, Lord God, to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask, Lord, now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our, my mouth, my, your sight, be, that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Christmas is supposed to be a time of joy, is it not? But how many of you guys have run into some joy killers this Christmas holiday? You know what I'm talking about? In the parking lots of the malls, trying to get the close parking spots. You know what I'm talking about? You have your blinker on and then they whip in. Joy killer. Joy killer. Why do some of us Christians feel discouraged this holiday season? Maybe it's because we get to see the in-laws. Yay! Maybe it's because we get to be reminded of things in our lives that we had some difficulty in. Maybe we lost a loved one during the holidays. And every year it's a painful reminder of another year without that loved one. Many of us feel discouraged during this time of the year. We're going to look at Christmas this time through the eyes of the wise men. And how they found joy in the midst of discouragement and joy killers. See, we as Christians, we should be the most joyful people. And joy is not, and let me, let me kind of define joy. Joy is not this idea of this fleeting emotion. It's not something that, you know, man, I have joy because, you know, I won the lottery. Um, that's happiness. Joy is something external that God does in and through us. It's this this interaction that we have that God puts within us. And as God reveals himself to us, we can have deep-rooted joy. And it's kind of, it's one of those things, C.S. Lewis in his book called Surprised by Joy, he talks about that joy is something that is external. It's something that you experience apart from the natural. It's something supernatural that that God does in you, and you get to experience the joys of this world, whether they be in the midst and wrapped in hardship, or whether it's just a joy in the midst of suffering. Have you ever met somebody that has joy in the midst of suffering? It's almost, I mean, it's almost, you, you, you're almost kind of like, wow, they're having so much fun. I don't understand and they make jokes about things, and they're laughing. And you look and you go, how in the world? Look, that's not natural. That's something supernatural. And that's what we're going to talk about as we look at the wise men. So we look at them. Now, let me give you some historical background of the wise men. 
Now, magi, wise men, there's lots of different things you can read. I've read a ton of them this week about the magi, about the wise men, about the kings, whatever you want to say. They actually had, um, church history tells us that they had names. We don't know if their names are true or not, but they did have names. I don't know if anybody knew that. Gaspar, Bathazar, Bathazar, and Meliquire. All right, I have no idea. They sound like diseases that you don't want to get. But that was their names according to church history. And what's interesting is that there were these people that came to worship this king, this king of the world that was to be born on very little information. How in the world did they know that there was going to be a star? And how in the world did they know that they were supposed to follow it? And how in the world were they supposed to know that they were supposed to worship it, that this was going to be the king of the world? Isn't that, I mean, doesn't that just boggle your mind? I mean, think about this. They had very, very little information. And historically, let me give you some background. The background is this. There's a couple of verses that kind of talk a little bit about it. Numbers 24 talks about the Messiah and a star. Daniel chapter 9 talks about some prophecy. But when we see outside of scriptures, there must have been some other writings that maybe the, the prophet Daniel. Most scholars believe that there were some other writings that the prophet Daniel wrote about a Messiah, the king of the Jews that was coming, and how it would be revealed in the heavens. Now, we don't have any of those writings, so it's all speculation. But based upon those writings, these wise men or these magi or these kings left their country when they saw the star and followed it. Now, Daniel's thousand years prior to this event of the Christ child being born. So this was handed down and passed on from generation to generation to generation. Most believe that it was the Babylonians, that this was during the time of Babylon, that all this kind of came together. And then it was passed on to the Persians. Now, they were all astrologers or astronomers. They were looking at the heavens and studying the stars. And they were astrologers in the sense that they were using it to try to interpret the future. And so somehow Daniel, through divine revelation of God, somehow communicated to these, to these astrologers of the future that's coming where there will be a king born and he will be the one that will save the world. He will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that when you see the star, it's going to reveal the exact time and location and person of this king. And that you ought to follow it. So for a thousand years, generation after generation, they're passing this off. And then all of a sudden, they're looking in the heavens one night and they see the star. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the excitement? That, this, that their grandparents, their great, 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 great grandparents were passing this on to them. Year after year after year, they look up and there's a new star in the heavens and all of a sudden it's moving. Can you imagine? Get your stuff together and let's go. Now, we know that these guys were probably very wealthy based upon the gifts that they brought. The Bible doesn't tell us how many kings or magi they were. 
But here's the deal. If you're a rich person, you know, if you're, if you're any type of a person, you know to bring a gift for the birth, right? When you go visit someone in the hospital, whether it's a plant or a flower or whatever, a balloon, it's a boy, it's a girl, you know? So more than likely, there were probably three because there were three gifts. But the Bible doesn't tell us that. We know that in history, it tells us that they had three names, so that these were the ones. But they didn't travel by themselves. They traveled in a posse. They traveled in a large group or big entourage of people. Think about MC Hammer, you know, going through the airports. Or think about, you know, our president. When he travels, he's got the Secret Service and, and all these advisors and all these people. And all, I mean, think about this huge entourage of people that are traveling with them about 30 miles a day. And we don't know when the star appeared. We know that it appeared in, that they journeyed from the east. We do know that it was after the birth. How do we know that? Well, we, we're looking at that. When you're looking at the scripture, it says, when did they see him? When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Verse 11, they entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were. They entered the house. Now, Jesus was born in a stable, remember? So at some point, there was some different accommodations made for Mary and Jesus and Joseph in Bethlehem, and they moved from the stable to the house. So it wasn't the night of his birth. This is important to understand. The shepherds were told first, and they came the night of his birth. But it was the wise men or the magi that came later. All this to communicate and to get us ready for the fact of the joy the joy that these men had, that God hadn't forgotten them. So if you're taking notes, let's look at this joy and the joy that we ought to have today as Christians. And understanding all of that context, looking at the scripture here, we see some principles that I believe that God wants to teach us, some things about joy that he wants to give us. And the first one is this, that the Magi had joy, the joy of the journey. The joy of the journey. They saw the star and they embarked on a journey. Many of you maybe have invited Christ into your life and you've received Jesus Christ, the fact that he died on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the grave and by faith you've received him into your life and he's changed and transformed you. And so now you're embarking on this journey. You're on this journey called the Christian life. And sometimes it's filled with great, it's, sometimes it feels like a roller coaster. It's filled with great waiting. Sometimes it's filled with great pain. Sometimes it's filled with great joy. But we're on this journey. We've embarked upon this journey called the Christian life. And there's a great joy of the journey. I don't know what that is. That's freaking me out. There's this great joy of this journey. Matthew chapter 2, the, the, the wise men came from the eastern lands arriving in Jerusalem. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. See, the Magi set out on a long journey to follow a star. They left, their, they left on a long, dangerous road trip, and they were willing to risk everything. Sometimes we can only experience joy when there's risk involved. And I'm not talking about stupid, like, bungee jumping risk or, or parachuting out of a plane risk, a perfectly good airplane risk. I'm talking about 
the risk that it comes when it's following Jesus and there's a cost involved. There's this sense that, hey, you know what? We may not make it. This idea of a risk. They risked everything. The Magi wanted to find the king, the king of the world, the king of kings that they knew about that was coming, that was revealed in the stars. Think about the journey that they were on every night, about 30 miles a day. And at night, man, what's he going to look like? Where is he going to be? Who is this king that the heavens are declaring him? Think about the sense of anticipation, the sense of longing. The people in the caravan going, are we there yet? Think about some of the hardship that they probably endured. But all the while, the destination was worth the journey. The joy knowing that they were going to reach their destination. See, I think some of us in this Christian life, we get bogged down with the here and now, that we miss out on the joy that's to come. I don't know about you, I'm not a big fan of flying. It's not because I don't like flying, it's because I don't like the seats. Because a lot of times, I don't, I don't fly first class. I know maybe some of you do. But my knees, being 6'3", touch the back of the seat. And when the, plane, when, the, when the seats go back in front of you, I'm kind of miserable. And I feel like I'm re-breathing everybody's air, and I'm thinking I'm getting sick. And not that I'm germophobic or anything like that, but it's this, this idea that it's just not a very enjoyable time. But I don't get on a plane because I'm enjoying the plane ride. I get on a plane because I'm looking forward to my destination. I'm looking forward to seeing my grandmother. Or I'm looking forward to seeing somebody that I love. That's the idea of the finding the joy in the journey. Yes, and when that person like hacks next to you. <laughs> I remember being on a one plane line. This guy, he was... I mean, he was drunk getting on the plane, and then he had like three or four more, and he was, I mean, and he threw up next to me, a little bit on me. And I sat there. I longed for the destination so much more. See, that's the idea, though, that the joy that the wise men had It wasn't in the fact that they arrived. It was the process of there, we're going to get there. And when we get there, we're going to see this amazing king. The joy in our Christian life is found in being faithful to God's promises. See, they responded to very little information. They had a star. That was it. Maybe a couple, maybe some writings from Daniel or something that we don't have. But they knew that God had promised it because Daniel was a godly man. We don't really know. And so my, 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 the comment is, the joy in our Christian life is found being faithful to God's promises. If Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 was the only verses that God ever gave us for our difficult times in our life, would it be enough for us? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. If that was the only verse that God gave us when he left and ascended into heaven for us to be faithful to him, would it be enough? 
See, the, right, the idea is joy is found in God's promises. God made promises, and we can stand and hold on to them. Not because the journey is great, because oftentimes it's hard. It's because we know that God is not going to leave us as orphans. This word tells us that, that God's not going to leave us alone. I remember a mentor asking me that when I got cancer. If this was the only verses in the Bible, would it be enough for you to hold on to God's promises? See, it's difficult, but the idea is there is joy can be found in the journey. The second thing that the wise men were, were looking for that we can see from their lives is the joy of worshiping. The joy of worshiping. We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. There was the sense that they were going to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They were going to do what they were created for. Do you know that we were created to worship God? That's why we were created. And when we worship God, there is a joy that happens. Think about it. When you came to church this morning, and maybe you and your wife or you and your husband got in an argument, and you were like at each other's, you know, at each other's neck, and you're angry and you're frustrated, and the kid didn't get to eat, and or the kids, and like the kids are coming in. It's like, well, why did you dress them in that? I didn't dress them in that. And then you walk, oh, good morning, as you walk into church here this morning. It's so good to see you. Uh, you know, as you're going through the process, and then you come in here, and you're like, oh, we're talking about joy today? Oh! And then the band gets up, and they, ah, come sing with us. And you're like, oh, why am I here? And there's this sense, it's like, why do I need to have joy? I'm a melancholy. I don't need to have joy. No, the reality is this. Is then you start to sing. And everybody starts to sing together in joy. And all of a sudden, what happens is it's, something happens within us, isn't it? What happens is there's, a, there's, there's joy that starts to happen. And it's not something that we're mustering up. It's just this idea of that we were doing what God created us to do. And you get caught up. And then by the third or fourth song, you're, man, you're singing. And you're complete, and, and the transformation starts to begin or continue. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow. It's, I feel different. This is different. I have joy. Why? Because joy is something that God does for us. And we find it in worship. And not worship of ourselves or worship of the Seahawks. That's for you, Sean. Listen to the tape. Not for joy of, not for any of that. But it's the joy of Christ. See, they entered the house. They saw the child and his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. See, the joy of worshiping in our Christian life is found when we choose to worship no matter the circumstances. I don't feel like worshiping. That's when you need to worship. I don't want to have, I, I don't want to have joy in this. That's when you need to have joy. See, the Magi were filled with joy about the star. 
the Magi's goal was to see the Christ child. It didn't matter what the circumstances were surrounding his birth. What mattered was the destination, that they were going to see the Christ child. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. I like what the King Jimmy says, the translation for the King Jimmy. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. This This is something that, yes, you have to choose. And this is something that you have to look and you have to say, I have to be joyful. And at the same time, it's also something that God's doing in us and that we're being joyful and all of a sudden there's just something that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit of God and joy is what remains despite our circumstances, despite the hardships in our lives, despite what's going on, despite that it's the holidays, despite other people going on. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. It's this, this thing of joy that God does within us and the overflow of God in us, and, in us and the fact that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave overflows. Third thing that we see from the, the magi or the kings or the wise men is the joy of giving. Now, there's a difference between giving and sharing. They didn't share their gifts. They gave their gifts. See, giving is I give you something expecting nothing in return. Sharing is that I expect to get it back or get something back. See, my, my, my kids understood, my, my older two kids when they were young, they understood giving and sharing. In fact, my oldest daughter, Hannah, when she was probably three or four, she had a younger brother, Will, and Little Will Noah would always fixate on one toy and he would play with his one toy. And we were all, and Hannah had a whole room full of toys and she would not want to play with her toys. She would always want to play with Will's toy, whatever toy he had or whatever he was fixated on. And so we would teach her about you have to share, you have to share, you got to learn to share. Sharing's so important. And so he's got that toy that's yours. Let him have that toy. You're sharing your toys. This is a good thing. And so Hannah Joy, the way she understood it as a a little girl, is she'd look and she'd say, yes, sharing is important. And she'd walk up to her brother and say, you share, Will Noah, as she took it from him. (laughs) And, And I think a lot of us in the Christian life sometimes understand Giving that way, we think it's sharing. It's not sharing. Giving is, I'm giving this to you and I expect nothing in return. When the wise men came and brought their gifts, they laid it down before Jesus, a baby that didn't respond with anything. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, mean, he smiled, he smiled, you know. He responded with nothing. But they gave generously. It wasn't in, it wasn't in dis, disbelief or, or a lack of response. You got those pictures? Coastal is about being generous. We want to be generous people. We want to give and expect nothing back. 
there was an orphanage in, um, that, that needed. They didn't have a well and they didn't have some water. And in the midst of our building project, we had prayed and the leadership of the church had prayed and there was this huge need. And we had the opportunity to dig a well in Africa, in Zimbabwe, for a bunch of orphans that had nothing. We gave expecting nothing back. And because of your generosity, we can do it. And that's what it is when we all come together and drop money in the offering plate, especially during this Christmas season as we can help Thailand and Bolivia and Honduras and Zimbabwe. And we had the opportunity to not only dig a well, but build a bathhouse for them. See, that's generosity. We're not going to get anything back from this. That's what generosity is. We give this to you expecting nothing back. And what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 25? He says, if you've done it to the least of these, my brother, and you've done it to me. So how do we give to Jesus this holiday season? Well, we give to orphans. We give to children off the Christmas tree. We take a, take a gift and we give them something that they can't get for themselves expecting nothing back. We give to... We buy chickens and goats for people. And then we give it in, in, as a little Christmas gift to somebody else. Say, I, I bought a goat for an orphan for you. Merry Christmas. Why? Because we have so much. I'm not buying you a gift so that I can get something back in equal value. No, I'm, I'm, I'm giving generously on your behalf. It's what you do when the offering plate goes by, and we have opportunities in Bolivia to buy chickens to help feed the orphans. We have opportunities in Honduras. We have opportunities in Thailand for this orphanage to build a wall for protection at night from animals. We have an opportunity. In, I mean, we have opportunities in Zimbabwe. Why? Because God's called us to be generous, and we learn to be generous because Christ has done so much, so also we ought to be generous. The Magi gave three gifts, and, and this is the foreshadowing of Christ and the beauty of, the, of the, the written gospel. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold is the, obviously the metal of the king. Frankincense is used in worship where it's an aroma of worship used to worship someone or something. And then myrrh is used for the burial. They put it on dead bodies so that they don't stink as they decompose. All three of these were costly gifts. And I was thinking about this. The Magi gave something that cost them greatly. My son came up and I bought a gift for his sister and he said, hey, can I have that so I can give that to Grace for Christmas? And I said, I'm not going to give you some, I'm not, you're not allowed to give your sister something that costs you nothing. And he goes, oh, here's five bucks. <laughs> it's that idea of, the, listen, when we give, we give and we expect nothing in return. The fourth thing is this, the fourth joy is the joy of spreading the good news. When they saw Christ, when they saw Jesus, just a baby, they left a different way because they were warned in a dream not to return that way. 
Do you think they were quiet about what they saw? No. I don't believe so. They were going and telling everybody, I'm sure. Because the Bible says that there was this great anticipation in Luke because the shepherds were talking about it. And then now here's these magi that are talking about it. This was good news. The king of the Jews, the king of the world, the king of the universe had been born. They were spreading the good news, returning a different way. They didn't tell King Herod the joy killer. Have you, ever told, have you ever been so excited about something and you tell somebody and then they look at you and they're like, oh, that's okay. And they're just that, they just kill that joy that you have. Or you're excited about something great that happened in your life and, and you want them to rejoice with you and they don't. This was Herod. And not only did Herod want to do it, he wasn't generous. He was selfish because he wanted to stay king and he wanted his kids to stay king. So in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. When there's joy, there are joy killers. And in the midst of the Mary and Joseph and the joy of Jesus and the wise men worshiping, in the, in, in the midst of all of that, there's a whole lot of people that will not be comforted because their children are dead because of Herod's je- jealousy. And I, this is a tough passage. Because how in the world are we supposed to have joy in the midst of this? See, joy in the Christian life should not be contained. It should be an overflow of seeing Christ, not our circumstances, not what happens to us, not what's going on around us. I like what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, we rejoice with those that rejoice and we weep with those that weep. It doesn't mean we have to be happy all the time. It means means we need to be empathetic. But see, the good news of Jesus Christ dying is, is something that's not temporal, but it's eternal. And sometimes in life, that's the only joy that can bring us comfort in the midst of our tragedy and suffering and difficult times. It's the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. And so therefore, whatever happens now, is just gravy. Whatever happens now is fine because Jesus rose from the dead and my eternity is settled with Christ. And if you've received Jesus Christ this morning, then guess what? Your eternity is settled with Christ. But if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? There won't be joy, but there can be. Very simply, what you do is you open your heart and your life and you say, Jesus, I give you my life because you gave me yours. And I ask that you would come into my life and save me. Forgive me for my sins, for all the things that I've done wrong, and save me. 
I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the grave. This is what brings joy. This is who brings joy. It's Christ. Is your joy based upon an overflow of Christ every day and seeing him in the scriptures and in your prayer times? Only in and around Christ is their joy. It's not an emotion or an action, but externally happens when we encounter the risen Jesus. Are we encountering the risen Jesus Christ daily this Christmas season in our life? Let's pray. Precious Father, for those that are struggling to find their joy, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that they would look no further than your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that, God, they would find joy in the journey. They would find joy in worshiping. They would find joy in their generosity. They would find joy in sharing the good news with people that don't have good news. But most importantly, Lord God, that the joy that they find would be found in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's truth. I pray that there's somebody here that doesn't know you. I pray that they would open their hearts right now to your son, Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you and we praise you, Lord God. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We're going to take our offering.